How's everyone doing? Good. I just want to start by saying I'm very happy and blessed to be part of a church that believes in the power of prayer. You know, some people, okay, yeah, honestly, for just all of us, really, how it's a church without prayer and a Christian without a prayer life is a defeated Christian and is a defeated church. And today when we got here, Arsh came up to me. She's like, have you prayed for the, the message today? I said, I did pray. I prayed. V prayed. She's like, I really want to pray for the message also. She put her hands, you know, in the, in the back and prayed over me as well. And I just felt so blessed. And then I came up here. And I'm not going to call people out, but I saw somebody up front praying as well. And it just shows that we are all in a desperate need in our Christian life for the life of God and for his touch. And the best way to fight our battles is through prayer. Amen? So with that being said, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. And I really just ask, Lord, that you bless us today, Father, that you give me the words to, to share what you put on my heart, Lord. <clears throat> and I pray that you give us all a receptive heart to not just hear what we have, not just hear what we're hearing week after week, but to really accept it and to apply it to our lives, Lord. And uh, all these events that we heard about today, I also want to bring them before your hands. And I, I pray, Lord, that you be sovereign in those events and that your light shine and that your will be done in everything that we're doing in this church. In the mighty, precious name of our Son, of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So, is everyone doing good? Yeah? I feel like if I don't say that, I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't share. So, I'll ask one more time. How's everyone doing? Amen. Now I know that you guys can speak, you have a voice, so if I don't hear any amens, that means there's something wrong with me and I'm going to go home and throw myself in the presence of God and repent, but anyways, no, I'm just kidding. So I just want to start by saying this or asking you this, what is the goal of your Christian life? Just think about it. What is the goal of your Christian life? If we don't have a goal in mind, we'll fail because it's very easy in our Christian walk to get distracted. It's very easy to wake up in the morning, go about our business, and not see how God applies in our life. So we have to see how God applies in our life, and we have to see what our goal is in our Christian life. What is the goal? Okay, I'm saved. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. And then what? What's the goal? Right? So I want you guys to really think about this question. And after reading the writings of John, in the Gospel of John, in his letters, in Revelation, I really believe, and I know we all agree with this, that the goal of our Christian life is to experience the love of God through a personal relationship that we have with him, made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. And in the process of experiencing his love and growing in this relationship with God, we become more in the image and likeness of his son. Should I say it again? Okay. <laughs> that was very demanding. <laughs> so the goal of our Christian life is to experience the love of God. If we don't experience God's love in our life, we're wasting our time. 
But the only way we can experience his love is through a personal relationship that we have with him that is only made possible by accepting his son as our personal savior. And the goal of that relationship, the end result of that relationship needs to be for you and for me to be more like his son Christ, to express how he was. Now, a lot of times people look at themselves and they look at their personality and they think, how, how am I going to be like, like him? It's not about being identical to Christ. It's about being compatible to Christ. When we pick a spouse, for instance, we're looking for someone that's compatible with us. They're not going to be identical to us. We're going to have different habits. One may be quiet. One may be very expressive. Uh-oh, I didn't know I was speaking to a congregation. Everyone's identical to their significant other. No, we're not identical, but we, you want to get be with someone who you're compatible with. It's the same thing in our Christian life. We want to be compatible to God through the person of Jesus Christ, right? That's o- the only way we'll have a successful, re- we always say we want a relationship with him. The way to have a successful relationship with him that we bear fruit from that relationship is to be like him. But on the other hand of this whole thing I'm talking about is Satan, and he has a goal also. And his goal is for us to become like the world. If he came down here and he said, Arlen, I want you to be like me, I'd be jumping off a cliff because that would be the most terrifying thing ever, right? He doesn't scare you like that, but he tries to use the world and the things of this world because we don't see it as bad. And if he makes us like the world, he prevents God from accomplishing the goal that he had in mind, which is to conform us to his son's image. So on the one hand, God is trying to make us like his son, and on the other hand, Satan is trying to make us like this world. But first and foremost, and I'm going to read for it from the Gospel of John, if you're maybe a non-believer, it says in John 1.10, he's talking about himself. He says, he was in the world, talking about Jesus, John's talking about Jesus. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. So even though the whole world was made through Jesus, people don't know who he is. And it goes on. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as receive him, so if you receive Jesus Christ in your life, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? You're a child of God, He's your Father. To those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Now it's saying, when you accept him, he gives you a new life. Right? And in John, you read where people were coming up to him, religious people were coming up to him, how do I see heaven? How do I go to heaven? How do I seek the kingdom of God or whatever? He said, first, you must be born again. The very first thing, church, in our Christian life, before we worry about the goal, before we worry about conformity, is we need a new life. Because only a new life has the capacity for us to grow, have a relationship, 
and to be in his image and likeness. Without a new life, you cannot accomplish any of those goals. Clear so far? And Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the God of this age, talking about Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So it's further saying that if you're an unbeliever, it's very black or white, unfortunately. Sometimes it sounds like Christians are being harsh. It's black and white, church. Black or white. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So even if you wanted to know God, even if you wanted to experience God, you cannot do it without having a new life. Yes? Perfect. Now I'm going to recap a little bit of the message I spoke last week. It's about the life of Daniel. And the life of Daniel, even though it was in the Old Testament, it's the perfect example of our experience as Christians and what the goal God has for us is. Daniel shows us three things. All right, these are the three things that we see in reading the, the uh, book of Daniel and the life of Daniel. First, there is a war being waged. There is a war. Okay, if you are a Christian and you think everything is rosy, you think you wake up in the morning, you're going and about your business and there's nothing going on behind the scenes, you're mistaken. There is a war going on in our life as Christians, and I'll explain what that is. That's the first thing Daniel shows us, okay? The second thing, it shows us the relationship he has with God. So it's not enough just to know that there's a war going on. You have to know that there is a relationship happening with God. And the third is God's provision in Daniel's life. Do you see these things just right off the bat? thinking about his life. So we must know all three of these things. We have to now come to experience and know these three things. First, we must know that there's a war being waged, all right? Two, that the goal of our Christian life and our walk is a relationship that we have with God. And three, while all this is going on, God is a provider and he provides for his children and his provision in our life is enough. And he does everything for us, and he takes us all the way through. I'm going to go one by one, and I'm going to talk about these things. So to give you a little bit of backstory for those who were in here last year, Daniel was the first group, him and his, his friends and, and some of the young people of, of um, Judah, they were the first people to be taken captive by King Nebuchadnezzar and taken to Babylon. All right? And the goal of the king of Babylon was to change how they think, to change how they reason, to change how they operate, to change their culture, their language, to become like Babylon. He didn't want them to represent their God. He wanted them to re represent Babylon. The first thing he does is give them new names. And you remember how bad those new names were, right? <laughs> I like Daniel better. I didn't like the... I didn't like the new name. Second, he teaches them the culture and literature of Babylon. Now he's starting to change how they reason and how they look at the world. When we go to school, we're, we're reading literature. We're reading writings of the, of the most brilliant minds. When we go to university, we're, re we're studying philosophy or philosopher. And we're constantly studying the best of the best that the world has to offer. Well, at the time... 
Nebuchadnezzar had the best of the best that the world had to offer as far as literature is concerned, as far as the most genius minds in Babylon. And he was constantly exposing Daniel and his friends to all this so that they can start to change how they think and reason and their logic starts to, to change. And he, he wanted them to go through three years of rigorous training to be qualified to serve in his, in his kingdom. All right? So, in summary, the goal of the king of Babylon is to strip Daniel of his identity and make him like Babylon. Is that clear so far? I went through all the details last week. I'm not going to go into it. So, Babylon represents a cu the culmination of the world system functioning independent of God under complete control and dominion of Satan. That's what Babylon and the, the mindset of Babylon represents. So what does Daniel do? Daniel goes there. He has to. He's living in Babylon. He's going to work. He's doing what he has to do to survive. Are we not in the world? Are we, are we called to become Amish? Are we called to move to a remote place and not live and function in this world? No. We, Paul says work. If you don't work, don't eat. Make money. That's fine. Get educated, that's fine. But what is happening in your heart? That's the question. This is what it says in Daniel. Daniel 1.8, but Daniel purposed in his heart. Other translation is he made up his mind that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. So one of the things that he drew the line, it says whenever Nebuchadnezzar brought them all and said, eat from my table. Now you have to become one with the world. See, when you eat something, you become one with it. You, you unite with it. And that's where Daniel drew the line. He says, I'll comply in this world. I'll operate in this world. I'll work in this world. I'll be educated in this world, all those things. But I'm not going to become one in heart and in mind with this world. That's where I draw the line. And I said that the moment he entered Babylon, something felt wrong in his spirit. He felt something wrong. But you really see when you're reading the story that it wasn't just, sometimes we can feel something's off, but it takes a real revelation. Sometimes God opens our minds to really see the world for what it is. And based on that spiritual revelation that Daniel had, he was able to make the stand, right? A lot of times we see people come and go. A lot of times we see people go back into the world. Maybe there hasn't been that real revelation, that eye-opening moment where to see and comprehend, wow, this is what the world really is. This is what the world has to offer. And you know what? I'm purposing in my heart to say no to this world. This happened in Daniel's life. He made a spiritual stand based on spiritual understanding, and with his entire being, he dedicated himself to the stand. So as long as the things of this world entice us, or we think that the world can bring us joy and fulfillment, or if we have our eyes on the people of this world, this is where a vast majority of us fall, all right? Because I'm on social media, you're seeing so much, you're seeing this person's accomplishment, you're seeing this person's everything, do I have to get into specifics? No? Am I the only one on social media? No one else here is in social on social media? You're not seeing the latest house, the latest car, the latest. I'm not going 
get graphic, but it seems like the bodies are changing, everything's just changing. When V and I were renovating our place very lightly, obviously we're searching social media for what's cool, what's different, and every week we were changing our minds. We're like, okay, we wanted gold hardware, now we want black hardware. Oh, we want dark wood floors, now we want light floors. It's so easy to fall, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Everyone, you know, you guys are on Pinterest, that's fine. You're looking at nice things, changing up the hairstyles. I like to, <laughs> I get it. I'm talking about something deeper. It's like, where do we draw the line? How much of it is enough? You know, how much are we consuming constantly? Our mind is just preoccupied with everything that that's going on in this world. So I start now with war. This is what the war is. We read it in 1 John 2.15. John says, Do not love the world, nor the things of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So it's so dramatic, but can it be that he's saying you can even be a Christian, but if you love the world so much just by that fact, the love of the Father is not in you? It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. I'll go as extreme as to say, if you murdered somebody, it doesn't change how much God loves you. Please do not do that. <laughs> nothing you do can make God love you any less, right? How about the flip side? There's nothing you can do to make him love you more either. So you don't have to be religious or try to satisfy his heart. All you have to do is accept Christ as your savior, right? But what if we don't have that love for him? He wants a mutual love. Is it, is it fair if, you're, if you have a friend or you have a spouse or you have a child or something, any, any person in your life, and you really love that person, but they just don't love you? That's very unfair, right? God wants a mutual love relationship with us. So do not love the world or the things of this world, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And I emphasized this last time, and I can't, I'm going to do it again. And the world is passing away. I love that. It's saying, stop wasting your time. This world you love so much, this world you want to succeed in, you want to get the best of the best position in, you want to compete with people, you want to Look the, your best. He's saying all of that is passing away. In a short amount of time, it's gone. It's nothing. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Honestly, I mean, that's just, that's insane. So a few verses to show. I, I want to show that the world is at odds with God. There is nothing of the world that is in harmony with God, even if ha it has a nice package with a bow. 1 Corinthians 21, for since the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. It's saying wisdom of God, the world is also very, very wise, but the one thing they don't know is God, right? John 15, 18, Jesus says, if the world hates you, he's talking to his disciples, Keep in mind that it hated me first. Not only does it not know God, but there is a hatred in the world towards God and towards his son, Jesus Christ. James 4.4. 4. 
You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anybody who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now it's talking not just about the worldly people, it's talking about even Christians who may love and enjoy the world. John 16, 11 says, the prince of this world. Now it's saying there is a mastermind behind this world. Satan is behind this world. By the way, God created the heavens and earth. It's not talking about the earth in itself is evil, don't touch it. It's talking about there's a system, there's a mindset that is governing people's people's attitudes, that is governing what people are doing, that is governing education system, that is governing the politicians, that is governing the governments of this world. 1 John 5, 19, we know that we are children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. So if you move to Hawaii, it's still the world, church. Another uh, translation, it says the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. This makes us understand it better. It's a, it's a mindset. It's a, it's a style. I don't even know how to really put it into words, but if you go through the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, how many of you were alive in the 1910s? Anyone? 50s, 60s, <laughs> 70s, 80s? Can't you define each decade based on the way people were talking, w the way they were acting, the way they were dressing? Now it's, we say, this is only Armenians look at this, it's, it's a become a choresht now. <laughs> now it's, they're, they know everything and they're just, everything old is cool now. So nowadays, young people, you can't tell if they're trying to go for the 70s look, the 80s look, the 90s look. So Satan tries to entice us with the world, the things of this world, the people of this world even, and gradually changes our taste, our preferences, and our goal in life. Look, we could have, a, we could have uh, stylistic preferences, that's fine. We can like a certain way of dressing, that's fine. We can, um, Christianity is not about don't do that, do this, don't do that, do this. It's saying, what's your goal though in life, ultimately, right? When your goal is Christ and getting to know him better and conforming to his image, all those things are trivial. But when your goal is to become something and just to make something of yourself, and that's the only thing that you have in mind, then we get to enemy territory. The greatest example of this was the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son. He was in the father's house. He had everything. All the riches were there for him. All the riches were given to him. He's like, I don't want it. I'm, I'm, I, want, I want my inheritance. Just give me whatever I, you, you owe me. That's pretty entitled. Give me whatever I'm supposed to inherit. And he goes and he squanders his wealth in the world. And when he comes to his senses, he realizes, oh my God, at the end of this, the end result of the world, no matter how successful you are, it's showing that he was eating from the feet of pigs. Meaning there's nothing that the world at the end of the day has to offer you. And he comes to his senses and he runs back to the father's house. And what did the father do? Get out of here, son. How dare you? Oh, woe is me, leave. No, what does he do? 
doesn't even wait. The father is running after him. I think we're desensitized to this story. One more point about the world. Even Christianity at large, I think, is failing in this regard. Because they're trying to make the world a better place. They're calling it right now, there's a culture war going on. There are certain things that culturally are changing for the better, for the worse, whatever. They're, sa- they're saying it's a culture war. We would need to take things back to how it was before. How was it before? Was it really that good? Or was it still of the world? Packaged differently, right? It may have been more decent before. The world was more decent in the 1950s probably. But was it representative of the mind of Christ? John 15, 19 says, if you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. Jesus has chosen us out of this world. Does it ring a bell? Does it do anything? Now we go to the relationship. Okay, we know the world is, is not supposed to be a place that we, you know, go after whole heart. Our heart shouldn't be so entangled with the world and the world system. Okay, we know that. But it's not enough just to know that. Now we have to recognize that there is a relationship we have with God made possible through his son, Jesus Christ. Yes? And the more we grow in our relationship with him, the more we know him, the more we will love him and the less enticing the world will become for us. So real spiritual growth, not only do you know God on the one hand, but you are a little bit less enticed with the world on the other hand. Am I making sense? How do we do this? Now I want to, last time someone yelled from the back, how do we do this? Okay, today, (laughs) I'll go over a few points how we can do this. And we've gone over these in our church many times. I'm just reminding us. The first thing Involve God in your life. Not just in your Christian life. Involve God in every category of your life. Involve him in your marriage. Involve him in your children. Involve him in your educational journey. Involve him in your career. The biggest lie the enemy tries to put in our mind is that he's not going to care about this. This is not spiritual. Why would he even waste his time with us? We always compare ourselves to the most drastic situation. There's kids dying in this part of the world. Is he that limited that he can't take care of that and he can't take care of us as well? Serious question, yes? (laughs) Of course he can. He wants us to involve him in everything we're going through, especially church, especially our struggles and our problems. What a waste if we're going through something bad in our life. What a waste not to involve him. What a waste not to ask him, Lord, what are you trying to show me? What am I supposed to learn in this situation? He, he doesn't just teach you and show you what direction to go in, what decision to make, but he also shows you another aspect of his personality in that problem. 
it's such a waste to go through a, a problem in our life and not involve him and not, to, not have him see or, or express to us what he's thinking and what he's doing and what his uh, personality trait is for that specific situation. I'm harping on the spouses today. Imagine you have a spouse and you don't call them for the whole day and you don't call them for two days and you don't call them for three days. You know where you'll be sleeping? I'm talking to the guys here because usually it's the guys that don't call. Where? Someone said couch, no. First day, yes, couch. Second day, patio. Third day, Glen Oaks Boulevard. <laughs> Purposely Glen Oaks because there's a lot of traffic so you could get hit. <laughs> he wants us to check in on him. Is it too much to ask to check in on the father once in a while? By the way, I'm not pointing fingers. I always have to clar clarify this because I'm young also. I go through a lot of times where I'm busy and it's like a day has gone by, two days. I'm starting to realize more and more. I'm not saying I make it a perfect habit all the time. Not praying for an entire day? Oh my God, from the morning, we, from the moment we wake up, we're under attack. Not praying for 24 hours, let alone a week, let alone a month. Not reading or receiving anything for the renewal of mind. Oh my gosh, we're bombarded all day long from every angle and we don't read one material, one anything. Very dangerous. There's a, an alarming trend amongst Christians going day after day and not even considering God or, or the relevance that he has in your life. But it's not to condemn us, it's to really make us do a turnaround today. It's, not, it's never too late to turn that around and to start involving him in your life. Baby steps, start praying, read the word, be amongst a fellowship of the believers. We're going to get to that in a second. So Daniel's prayer life and revelation. Now I'm talking about different aspects of this relationship with God. I need to define certain aspects so that I can move on. The word of God, how important this is. God was revealing his mind to Daniel through his visions, through his prayer time. How important it is for us to receive revelation, church. The Bible is not just a old book that we put on the corner, we open and we get some encouragement out of. It says the word of God is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's a, it's a living word. So we have to, con there's no exhausting the Bible is what I'm trying to say. You can read it morning till night, the same story, there's no exhausting the Bible. But we have to really be prayerful when we're reading the Bible also and, uh, and ask him for a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know him as we're reading the word of God. Or else it sometimes it's like mundane, the same stories, the same proverbs, whatever. But when he opens our minds to understand based on what we're going through, based on whatever era we're living in, it has a real fresh effect, right? And it's prayer life. Daniel did not relent praying 
Again, I'm going to prayer. And I said that example last week about he was praying for something. The angel comes to him and says, I heard the moment you opened your mouth and uttered that prayer, I heard it. God heard it. And he sent me down here to help you, Daniel. But I was caught up. He was caught up in this atmosphere of darkness that is like the ozone layer hovering over this world. We don't even fully see what this world is all about. We don't really fully see the full extent of what is going on. And he's saying it took me weeks and weeks to get to you. Church, sometimes we need to pray relentlessly. We always need to pray relentlessly. There is a spiritual battle going on, spiritual warfare. It, It requires constant prayer, constant prayer. Daniel knew that. So his his knowing the word, his revelation of the word in conjunction with his prayer life, oh my gosh, God was able to reveal all the mysteries of, of what's going to happen. It was it's pretty remarkable. And the last really important thing we see in Daniel's life, as far as his relationship with God is concerned, we have the prayer, we have the reading of the word, strength in numbers. Strength in numbers. Isn't it interesting that he wasn't going through this alone, that he had his friends with him the whole way? You know what this is trying to show? The importance of this. The importance of the body of Christ. Christian isolationism is one of the most dangerous things in our Christian life. To know the word, to know God, to accept him, to to be on this journey, but to be isolated as a Christian is a very, very dangerous territory. My brothers and sisters, We need to have constant interaction, constant fellowship with the body of Christ. Paul says, do not neglect the assembly of the saints. One of the most, one of the worst things that came out of COVID is everyone thinks they could sit at home and and play church. They're they're logging in. It says, don't neglect the assembly. Come together. There's an importance. It says, when two or three are gathered, I'm in your midst. Again, trying to solidify this is not an independent journey. You have to have a church life. You have to have a fellowship life with the body of Christ. This is maybe one of the most important of all of these. Jesus' ministry, he's the son of God, but he was always surrounded by people. Have you noticed that? He didn't hoard the treasures of God to himself. He shared it with the body of Christ. He was constantly, at the time the church wasn't in, in that aspect formed yet. It was coming, but... He was already laying down that principle. You got to be with the body of Christ. You got to be with the believers. And since that is the key to our spiritual success and survival, Satan's attack, first and foremost, is always on the body of Christ. He'll put one thought in your head, one thing in your head against someone that annoys you, that bothers you, and that is the end of it all. You go down a slope of just you hate this person, you don't like this person. I'm sure all of us have experienced that one time or another. Okay, let's not act like we're holier than thou, only one person has had that. Everyone's experienced that to some degree. When a Christian harms you, when a Christian wrongs you, it's worse than when the people of the world harm you. It feels way worse, right? Because we have this perception that we're supposed to come in church, everyone is supposed to be perfect, and yes, we're responsible for our actions. We have to be very careful when we come together not to mess each other up and, and whatnot, but we are all on this journey of getting to know God together. Let's be a little bit more, let's show more grace to one another. If I make a mistake, please, please show me grace. <laughs> now God's provision. 
which, okay, the first two I think I talked about a lot last message and a little bit today. I haven't really talked about this part. We can know the world. We can have a really good relationship with God. But if we don't come to see that he's the provider, that his provision is sufficient in our lives, that's another way for us to fail. So there's a plot against Daniel. Now we have a, a new kingdom in place. Now it's the king of Persia. All right? But Daniel, I want to note, he's very, very successful. Okay? He's thriving from the worldly perspective, very, very high, top-notch position. Everyone loves him. And God, through all these kings, is keeping Daniel and his friends, further showing his provision was always, was always there. So Daniel now is appointed to the one of the highest positions in the kingdom. So there were 121 satraps. These are congressmen and women, let's just say, congresspeople, okay? And there were three governors overseeing all 121. And Daniel was one of them. This is the, the level of his position in the world. God is not saying don't be accomplished in the world. God is not saying don't get a high position. Daniel had the highest position, right? But then he distinguishes in himself amongst those two other governors. So now in Daniel 6.3, it says, Then this Daniel distinguished himself among the, above the governors and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. Interesting. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. No wows. The king of one of the most successful kingdoms, historically speaking, forget even the Bible, historically speaking, the one of the most successful, intricate, culturally in incredible societies and kingdoms of all time, the king is, wants to put a man of God, the head of the whole realm, Think about where this guy had gone. So the people obviously get jealous, and they put this decree out. They say, we can't find any fault in Daniel. Why don't we try to do something that involves his God and his worship of God? That's the only place he won't compromise. He'll make a mistake. He'll break a law, and then we can get rid of him. So they put this decree out that nobody is supposed to worship anybody but King Darius for 30 days or some number like that. For 30 days only. It's only worshiping this king. Don't worship anyone else. If you do, you get thrown in the den of lions. I'm sure we're familiar with Daniel and the lion's den story, right? Daniel 6.10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since its early days. Where do you see a link here? Is this not spiritual warfare? They're trying to prevent him from worshiping God. They're trying to prevent him from growing in the Lord. What does he do? He immediately turns the volume up on his prayer life. Spiritual battle and spiritual warfare is over our worship, right? Who is getting our worship? Worship is not only always kneeling down and praising and praying like that. That's how we do it when we come to church maybe. Worship can be with our time. What's occupying our time? No? What's occupying our time? What's occupying our life? What's occupying our mind? Who is getting our attention? 
Is it God? Or is it something else or someone else? What is the priority of our life? Whatever the priority is in our life, that's what's getting our worship. Church. It's not going to always be a consistent journey. I get it. We have our ups and downs, but let's just kind of keep that in mind. So the king gave this command, and they brought Daniel and cast him down into the den of the lions because obviously they find out what he's doing, and the king loved Daniel, but he's like, what am I going to do? I can't contradict my law. Throw him down into the den of the lions. But the king spoke to Daniel, saying to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Again, showing God's provision in our life, even in the fire, even in the lion's den, what this is trying to say is that no matter how bad things get, ultimately, it's not going to lead to our demise. God always steps in and rescues us. There is no such a thing in the life of a Christian that we completely are destroyed by the enemy and whatnot. That does not exist in a Christian's life. Now, the king can't sleep all night. He's worried. He's hoping and praying that Daniel is safe. He goes and checks on Daniel in the morning to see if he's alive. And in Daniel 6.21, it says, He's like, Daniel, are you there? Are you there? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. (laughs) My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. We might be in a lion's den, church. God might allow us to go into a very difficult situation, but he's going to shut the mouth of the lion. He's not going to let, ultimately let, that lion, that whatever it is we're facing to devour us. As tough and... Don't you think he was probably panicked all night? Maybe he wasn't. Maybe he was so spiritual and perfect that he was just praying. And, and I'm sure he was worried. I'm sure he had anxiety and whatever. Don't quote me on that, but I'm, I'm assuming. And then Daniel 6.28. When we dedicate our lives to God, this is what happens. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So not only does he allow him to prosper spiritually, not only does he save him out of the mouth of the lion, he even allows us to prosper with the things that we need to get by in this world. Does God want you to not prosper? Does he want you to be homeless? Does he want you to be poor? Does he want you to be hungry? Matthew 6.31, Jesus is teaching his disciples, therefore do not worry. Do not worry, saying what shall we eat, or what shall we we drink, or what shall we wear. For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Did he not add all these things to Daniel's life? Did he not provide for him even in the material world with what he needs, clothing, food, position, power? Granted, he'll give you all those things if you have the right heart. Right, Because he doesn't want us to be possessed by those things either and go off like the prodigal son. So seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things 
shall be added to you. Amen? One last thing from John, and I'll close this message. Because I want to solidify and put the lock on this and show us all how, how much of his provision is in our life, what he's provided for us, what he's given us. Listen to what it says in, Matthew, in John uh, 14, 15. If you love me, says Jesus, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. Sometimes we hear something like this, and we're thinking, wow, that's a difficult journey. Oh, my God. I don't want to go through all this stuff. I will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world, again, the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The helper church is in us. He's implanted the helper, the Holy Spirit, in us. We didn't just receive a new life. Yes, we did. We didn't just become a ch child of God. We, we didn't just receive eternal life. He gave us, he implanted the helper, the Holy Spirit, inside of us to help us. Well, I don't know how else to, to word it. Do you need help? I need help. I need a lot of help. You might think I need psychological help. I don't know, after my yelling and hand... We need help, church. He gave us the helper. For he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. Another promise. I will come to you a little while longer and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live in you. Because I live and you will live also. And then from verse 25, it says, These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, again, reemphasizing this fact, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. Do we want knowledge? Do we want insight? Do we want to know who God is? Come on, can you say, I want to know, know you, Lord? It says, He will teach you all things. You can study the Bible from morning till night. Without the helper in you, you will not know all things. You will know information. You will know history. My, uh-oh. Are you going through anxiety? Do you have anxiety? Do you have fear in your life? Say yes so I can say this next verse or else I'm not going to say it. And my peace I give to you. Peace. That helper, the Holy Spirit, has peace. A quality of the Son of, of a quality of God, a quality of the life of God is peace. And He's put that peace in us. That's why it says, Alanush always emphasizes, He did not give us a spirit of fear, but of peace, love, and a sound mind. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives. Last verse, please pay attention, I'm almost done. Last verse. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do we think the world has something to give us? The world gives us nothing. The world gives us temporary satisfaction. In the end, we 
leave this world with nothing. The moment I thought about a lot of things, I just for some reason thought about Donald Trump. And I thought about, I don't know if you know, his, his first wife fell down the stairs and died recently in uh, the New York apartment. She was the pinnacle of glamour, of success, of the leaving a communist country, coming here, accomplishing everything with him, built him up. She always liked to take credit. She's like, he wouldn't have made it without me. She always emphasizes that. How does your life end? Bottom of a staircase, taking nothing with you to this world. I, didn't, I don't know her heart. Maybe she was saved. I have no idea. I'm not judging, but I'm just saying we take nothing with us out of this world. Bottom of a staircase, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Amen? Why? Because he's given us the helper, the Holy Spirit. Shall we close with a prayer? Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you that you're the ultimate provider, Lord, that you've opened our eyes, Lord. You've, you've opened our eyes to see that we we receive nothing in this world, Lord. We take nothing out of this world, Father. We only, dust we come, dust that we, you will return, as it says, Father. But you've given us a new life. Our, our spirit, you've, you've made alive to you, Lord, and we're never going to lose that. We're going we're gonna to continue for the rest of eternity, Lord. Thank you so much for making us new in Christ. Thank you so much for giving us that new life with the capacity to know you, Lord. I pray, Father, that you continue to speak to us, Lord, that you continue to reveal who you are through the person of Jesus Christ, Lord. All of us here are going through a lot of ups and downs, Lord. We're going through a lot of difficulties, Father. We are praying, we're asking, we're asking from our Father, Lord, show us what you want us to learn in this battle. Show us what you want us to learn in this situation, Lord. Ultimately, we want to know you more. We want to experience you in different ways, Lord. So please let that, let that occur, Father. I also want to bring all our needs before you, and I want to pray for our needs, and I want to pray that if there's healing that needs to be given to someone, may you heal, Father. It's in my heart again to pray for our sister Anno and our brother Philip who live in Toronto, Lord. They are health-wise doing so poorly, Lord, and there's, there's always a bad report, it seems, from the doctors, from the world, Lord, but whose report shall we believe? Well, we believe in the report of the Lord, Father. So sickness and death have no hold on us whatsoever, and I just ask that your will be done in their life, that you give them peace, that you give them strength, that you give their children peace and strength and for this entire family to be lifted up out of this terrible situation they're going through. In Jesus' mighty precious name we pray. And I also want to pray for the Door of Hope event, Lord. May this be a blessing. May this be an encouragement. May we all come together, Father, and, and worship you and see you in a different life, light through the life of one of your, one of the people who was martyred for you, Lord. And I pray for Yvette and I pray for whoever is, is involved in planning this event, Lord. May you give them that, that uh, energy this whole week. May you give them the clarity to, to make sure that the whole event goes smoothly. In, in your precious son's name we pray. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. <laughs>